Well, we end up today our our indescribable series. Has it been as much fun for you as it has been for me? I'll be kind of glad to get some of the billions, millions, and trillions out of my head. Uh, that's That's been kind of a a real struggle the last several weeks, but, but still, nonetheless, it's been a lot of fun. Last week, we talked about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and, uh, you know, the fact that you woke up this morning is something for you to celebrate. I mean, the fact that you drew a breath and it's like, you know, you can fog a mirror this morning, that's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I can, and we talked last week about how our bodies, you know, how they came to be out of this thing called DNA and genetic makeup and and where does that come from? I mean, um, it's it just again the word is amazing when you think about our bodies. Let me just a couple of tidbits, little facts, fun facts for you this morning. Um, the eyelid is the fastest muscle in the body. Did you know that? Now I'm about to really destroy your concentration because you're really focused in, aren't you? Ready to learn about indescribable? Now watch what I'm about to do to you. Did you know that it is possible? For your eyelid to blink five times in one second? <laughs> Did you know that? Now, there are going to be people all through the rest of the service trying to beat the one-second thing with their eyelids. <laughs> Did you know that women blink more than men? So congratulations, ladies. You have very well-hydrated eyes. Uh, that, you got that going for you. Um, I don't know. I wonder if makeup has anything to do with that. Um, the brain, what, a, what an item your brain is. I mean, it's three pounds. And you think about your brain relative size to the rest of your body and the responsibility that lies in the brain to be able to do stuff. It's a, it is an amazing, amazing piece of equipment that God has given us. There are 100 billion cells in your brain. Now, I promise you, I'm not going to do this all morning, okay? But I'm going to do it at the beginning because we've got to hear some of this. 100 billion cells in your brain. 10 billion of them are, are the ones that, um, that actually do a lot of the work. They have electrical jobs. They, they, um, they, before I do that, before I do the whole millions, billions, and trillions with your cells in your brain, let's talk about what a million is. Let's talk about what a billion and a trillion is. Do you know how long ago a million seconds was? A million seconds ago was 12 days ago. All right? That was a million seconds. Um, a billion seconds ago, anybody care to take a guess at how long you have to go back to reach a billion seconds? Get this, March 1975 was a, was a billion seconds ago. A trillion, keep in mind that a light year, if you've learned nothing else in this whole thing, you've learned that a light year is, say it with me, 5.88 trillion miles. That's a light year. Now think about trillion a trillion seconds ago, you have any guess at all? 31,710 years ago was a trillion seconds. It was 29,703 B.C. Yeah, wow. And inside that three-pound brain of yours is 100 billion cells, 10 billion neutrons, each of which have 10,000 connectors inside, these little things called synapses. They are the circuit board in your brain. And they're constantly sending electrical signals to your brain. Your, your brain is, is working all the time. And scientists and doctors tell us that there are as many circuitry combinations in your brain as there are stars in the universe. Now, we've already established there's an awful lot of stars in the universe. 
We don't even know how big the universe is. We don't know how many stars there are. But it's big. There are a lot of stars. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies. And the scientists tell us that there's that many and more combinations that these synapses can, can make connections in your brain. It's just a fascinating thing. Our brain is an incredible thing. Every second of every day, your brain processes, are you ready for this? Every second of every day, your brain is processing 100 million messages a second. You hear that and you go, eh, no, no, okay, that's, that's not, that's not, that really, you know, they, they, some of this stuff's verifiable. I don't know how they know this kind of stuff, but some of it they know, 100 million seconds, uh, messages a second. They're telling your brain things that, you know, you don't even think about, but there's stuff going on that your brain needs to consider, at least needs to have that information that you don't even think about. You walk outside and it's windy. You may notice the wind, but, but your body also does things like when you get goosebumps, there's been some kind of message sent to tell your body to make goosebumps. That your body feels, your, you know, you start thinking about, my, oh, the, it's blowing my hair. You, or you turn your face against, uh, away from the wind. Or, or you, you know, turn up the collar on your coat. Or, or you're, you know, as you, you see something and you say, I, I see that. Brain, do you see that? Or you say, I see that and I want to move to that. Or you see that and say, I see that and want to move away from that. That's not a good thing. We need to get out of here. There's, there's messages about, you know, how the, the, the temperature of the air. There's, there's um you know, your taste buds are doing things, your ears are doing things, you're, they're hearing things, processing information, your, your nose is picking up scents and smells and sending stuff to the brain message-wise, uh, your digestive system, your blood pressure, all these things are being sent to the brain, telling your brain, hey, we need this, we, we got to have that, or don't do that, that's a bad thing, and your brain is managing all these millions of messages in a day. Now, all of them are not going to get to your brain. Your brain is a, is a very smart piece of equipment. It knows that 100 million things can't be done at one time. So what the brain does, the brain says, we're going to limit this to two or 300 messages per second. You think about that. That's pretty daggone good that the two or 300 can be done. So that means that 99,999,700 messages get rejected by the brain or they're at least told wait not now i'll take that in a minute you know it's kind of like the great traffic cop upstairs and you wonder why you're a little scatterbrained that that could explain some of it for you and you would think that when you sleep that your brain kind of shuts down that it, that's when it takes its break and it, it kind of rests just like the rest of the body when in fact your brain just slightly scales back the workload that it has for the most part your brain just keeps right on going processing millions of messages um, a second it does not take a break every minute of every day every second your brain is processing millions of messages it does not ever take time off and where did we get this amazing thing we got this amazing thing from our moms and our dads when dad's cell found mom's cell and brought 23 chromosomes and they came together to another 23 chromosomes, established a DNA strand that is uniquely you. And when it all came together, those two cells started to tell the other cells that would begin to produce what they were to become. You go make a heart. You go make a lung. You go make a blood vessel. You go make an elbow. You make a nose. You go make a brain that's going to get 100 million messages a second. I mean, how in the world? 
And, and you have got this unique thing happening inside of you. The information comes from your mom. It comes from your dad. It is a unique DNA strand, and it is uniquely you. No one else ever has or will have what you have. You are special. So how in the world is there enough information necessary from this DNA strand to be able to tell uh, how to, you know, these two cells tell, go make a brain? I mean, what's up with that? How does that all work? The DNA that we're talking about is stamped inside of those, remember last week the number was 75 trillion cells that make up your body. You remember that? Somebody walked out and asked me, well, if I've got 75 trillion, how many does Shaq O'Neal have? I said, I don't know. I think his are just a lot bigger than ours is probably what's going on there. The DNA strand, if you were to take that and type it out, if you took 75 trillion cells and you took the DNA strand and you were to lay it all out, you're talking about three plus uh, billion characters in the genetic code in every cell in your body. That's enough. One cell in your body. If you were to type out the DNA code in one cell in your body, it would produce enough paper to fill up six thousand over six thousand books. That is enough to fill this stage. Uh, easily would fill up the stage with books. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, as interesting as this body is, as amazing as it is, the human body is breaking down now. If you're over forty, I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> you, you already know that. Um, we are on a downward spiral. Aren't you glad you got up to come to church this morning to find this cheery, wonderful news? Um, our bodies are wearing out. Now, if you're a kid, you're saying, no, man, I'm growing strong. I'm getting better looking every day, and I'm going to be better tomorrow. I'm getting better. No, you're really not. It's, uh, you're, it's a decline thing happening. It's, there's a little illusion happening for you, but, um, you know, if you're over 40, you already know. It's over, man. It's over. I mean, I hit 40, and all of a sudden, I couldn't see anything. My daughter comes up, Daddy, look at this. You know what they do? They stick it right in your face, and I'm like, man, get that. And I've never had to do that before. And all of a sudden, glasses appear. And I'm like, man, I can see when I put these glasses on. Go toss ball with my kids in the yard. It's like, wow. <laughs> I need Advil at the end of that. Or play ball with the, the guys. And it's like, man, when did my body start to break down like this? I mean, can't see anything i'm having trouble hearing stuff and and i can't remember anything and and so you know we we go through that and as amazing as it is as our body starts to break down and that's that's important because our miraculous god-given body this amazing thing is carrying something on the inside that is eternal your body is not eternal your body's a very temporal thing. That's what we're trying to accomplish when, whenever we have funerals and we, we talk with people. It's very interesting to listen to a pastor and a funeral director have a conversation because the pastor is all completely tuned into making sure that people have their souls in the right condition. And yet a funeral director, his job is to what? Preserve that body. Uh, and you, you just want to look at the guy and say, man, do you ever get frustrated? I mean, you're banging your head against the wall here because this thing's worn out. You know, you can only do so much with these. And, and uh, our bodies are terminal. And that matters because they're carrying something that is not terminal. It's something eternal. The mission isn't to keep the body alive, even though if you watched 
uh, enough television, you would come away thinking, well, that's the mission in life is to make sure that our body lives forever. I mean, isn't that what all the, isn't that what a Bowflex is about? And, you know, all these drugs and all this cream you can put on your face. And I saw a lady the other day saying, I'm looking for the fountain of youth. And I wanted to say, let me know how that works out for you. Because I don't think you're going to find it. And yet, man, we will pour a fortune, won't we, into making our bodies last a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. I, we need to take care of them. Uh, but but the, to, to fall into the delusion that it's going to last forever, it's just not. But what we need to wake up to this morning is that there's something on the inside of us that is eternal. And it's got to have some attention paid to it. Um, it's got to be made uh, alive as well. And it's really what Jesus is all about. It's what Cross Lane is about. Um, it's the one thing that our heart really beats for around here is we want to see people come to life on the inside. We believe that Jesus has come to do that. We believe that's what the gospel is all about. That Jesus came to give life to us on the inside and that really what you look like on the outside is of very little consequence. What's happening on the inside of you, that's what God's really about in your life. That's what we're about. And I want you walking out of here this morning be very thankful that you, that you are alive. I want you to be thankful that you're, you're alive, you know, that you can still fog the mirror. That's a good thing. But I really want you walking out of here this morning saying, man, my soul on the inside is living, breathing, and I'm, I'm so fired up about what God wants to do on the inside of me. A lot of people think that Christianity is all about being good. You know, what, how do you be a good per Christian? Well, you just be a good person. I, I, how many of you, on, I think it was Friday, how many of you on Friday saw the Today Show that uh, Matt Lauer was in Jerusalem? Did you see that? Who saw that? Anybody see that? Did you hear them talk to the Jewish rabbis? I, I learned something, and I, as I talked about this in the first service, I got the same reaction that I had when I saw it. I did not know this. But I'm about to tell you something I bet you didn't know. Now, if... if if someone came to me as a pastor, if Matt Lauer is interviewing me, like that's going to happen anytime soon, <clears throat> and I, if he does, I'm just going to commandeer the microphone and grab the camera and not let it go, but, but, uh, and just preach a sermon, because you know, they only give you like 15 seconds. So if you're, gonna be, if you're a rabbi and they're going to ask you, give you 15 seconds and say, what, how do you get to heaven? Wouldn't you think that'd be a pretty, you'd want to give a serious answer, right? I mean, you, you expect a serious answer from a rabbi. Now, the thing is, they didn't just talk to one. They talked to several, and several of these rabbis started talking about the same thing. Do you know what they said, you know, how they said to get to heaven? Do you know how a rabbi would tell you to get to heaven? You make three marriage matches. I am not kidding you. Who saw the thing? Am I, am I lying? That's what they said. Am I right? Make three marriage matches. Now, my question is, what if you make three marriage matches and, and you got divorces happening? Okay, now, is there like a, a, something working against you? You know, you have to make more or do double or I don't know how that works, but that is just the strangest thing. One rabbi said, everywhere I go, I ask people, are you single? That's just... Yeah, because they're trying to make matches because that's how you get into heaven as you make matches. Ask the average person how you get into heaven, and you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, well, you just be good. You just be good. Ask the average person if they're going to go to heaven, and they'll say, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. Now, think is a pretty, that's not a real strong word when we're talking about a place as eternal as heaven. You think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just me. It's just me. But I want to use a little stronger word there than, yeah, I think so. 
who do you, when you ask people, do you think you're going to heaven? Why do you think you're going to heaven? You know what answer you get most of the time? I bet you can fill in the blank. Here we go. Well, I think I have been a, two words, fill in the blank, pretty good person. Doesn't that just rot your socks off? I think I'm a pretty good person. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about long, long time, not changing. I think you want to use a different word than I think right there. And pretty good? Pretty good? I'm standing before God. How you been? Well, pretty good. <laughs> the word you want to use is I know. And I don't think you want to use pretty good there. I think you want to use something that's a little more concrete than that. But what you get a lot of times is, well, I think I've been a pretty good person. Uh, incidentally, you, you know, this is a, a problem that... that Christianity runs into a lot because a lot of people and I don't know where this comes from but we just make up our minds that getting to heaven is about being good and I, I'm here to tell you today getting to heaven has nothing to do with you being good enough to get into heaven you can't be good enough to get into heaven yet there are that's that's what gets sold all around the planet and and you talk to people and you know everybody's an expert when it comes to religious stuff anyway and and you'll you'll get that a lot but a great book that was written by a guy that I have a high respect for. Andy Stanley wrote a book called um, How Good is Good Enough? Because that really, isn't that the question? If you're going to be good to be able to get into heaven, how good do you have to be? And so I would say to that, the question that I would ask is, is it fair of God to require that we be good and not tell us how good is good enough? Now here's the thing. In fact, he did tell us, if you want to try to get into heaven by being good enough, here's what you have to do. There is a standard it's perfection you cannot mess up not even once and then he comes right behind that and says now just let me tell you you're not going to be able to do that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god so therefore now we've got a problem it helps to draw this out in a diagram diagram because you know if it's on a scale thing i'm i'm not going to score a hundred probably so that's but i'm probably not going to score a 10 and so we want to draw out this diagram and if we had a diagram that said on one side best and on the other side worst and worse, worse, did I, please tell me that I didn't type that in my slide. Oh, I did. It was really, really, really late. And I just, I just come back from an elders retreat. I did an elders retreat over the weekend for another church, and, and I apologize for that. I'm smarter than that, really. I am, really, I am. Worst. Golly, can we just quit right now? Amen, let's go home. You, just, you put your, imagine, uh, your sanctified imaginator on and see that as worse, worse. Best, better, best or worse. And you're going to put yourself on there somehow. Um, let's do that, why don't we? Why don't we take some... Now, here's the thing, before we get into this, if you were going to put yourself on that, you're, you're going to... That's hard. We really need other people to put on there because it's easier to judge somebody else than it is ourselves, right? We can look at somebody else and say, well, they're not a very good person. Or, and, and so we, we judge ourselves relative to other people. That's what we want to do. It makes us feel better. So let's take some other people. Let's take uh, Billy Graham. Let's take Billy Graham. And where would we put Billy... Where would we put Billy Graham on our, on our little diagram up there? Do you think he's going to go in a pretty good place i mean would many people argue with that it's dr graham for crying out loud i mean he's got the voice and he's got the bible and he's led so many people to jesus and how could you argue with putting him out there at the very end i mean that's that's kind of like a no-brainer let's pick somebody else let's let's see who else we can deal with here this morning kyle nelson 
Kyle Nelson. Now, don't you think this is going to be interesting? Let's, what do you, where would you think Kyle Nelson is going to end up on the grand scale? Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a good place for Kyle. He's a good guy, and he's, he does some pretty good things. He, he, but he did go to college, and there were the college years, so you know it could have varied where he ends up. But at the end of the day, naturally, we're going to put Kyle up there. Now, he's not right on top of Billy Graham because, I mean, nobody can do that. But, but he's up. We have high respect for Kyle, so he gets to go pretty high up. Let's pick, let's pick somebody else. Who else can we get that, that can? Simon Cowell. Let's, let's do Simon Cowell. I mean, if you don't know who he is, I think you've been hiding somewhere. But Simon is the judge on American Idol, one of the three. And he's just not a very nice person sometimes. He likes, to, his, I think his job, he wants to see people cry. He's just not happy unless somebody's crying. He's not happy unless somebody goes out and, and really feels very badly about themselves. So, you know, where would we put him? We, we would, you know, yeah, because, and, and you know, here's the thing. Simon may be a very nice guy. I don't know. Just what I see, I, I think I would put him uh, kind of right there. Who else do we have? We have um, Oprah Winfrey. Now, Oprah, you know, she's benevolent. She's loaded. She's, you know, she's, and, but she, we caught her praying. I mean, we got a good picture of her. It looks like she's praying. I mean, I know she's got a little bit of faith. She has the whinings on every now and then. So that's, a, you know, got to be good if you have the whinings on your show. I mean, that's got to be points in heaven just for having the whinings on. But but she gives lots of money away, probably the most influential woman in television, probably the most powerful woman in television, maybe one of the most powerful people in television, gives money away, gives cars, gives, you know, gives, she has those things where she gives stuff to the women that come to her show, and, and uh, so where would we put someone like Oprah Winfrey? She does a lot of good things. Yeah, that's, I mean, you, you know, you start kind of putting these out on a, on a better best kind of thing. And, and that's where they kind of end up. Let's try one more. Now, here's the thing. You need Saddam. You need Saddam. Because what, what happens here is, you know, we, we got to compare ourselves to these people, and we've got to be able to feel good about ourselves. And so you get somebody like Saddam on the list, and where's, where do you think Saddam's going to end up on our little scale? Of course. You know, and so, you know, I may not be Billy Graham, but I'm not Saddam. I mean, come on, God, you got to cut me a little slack. I mean, i got some problems. So where would we, in this mix right here, where, where typically do we kind of go to kind of decide where we're going to fall on the line? And typically, kind of what we would do is we would, we have, yeah, here's a, here's a, a representation of us. I just picked a golfer. And, and um, so, and, and I'll just say this, if, if how I ended up on the thing was determined by my attitude when I had one of these in my hand, I'd be with Saddam, probably, pretty much. But, but, so I don't do that a whole lot. But, but where, what, what, where are we going to put ourselves on that scale? That's probably what we would do. We're, we're going to be on the right side. We're going to be toward the better side of things because we just can't bear the thought that we would be on the worst side of things. Still can't. And, and, you know, I bet people in the first service are thinking, that guy's an idiot. He's a total idiot. Um, so... We look at that and we say, well, of course that's where I would be. I mean, I'm, I'm on the better side of things. I'm not, I'm not uh, completely, I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm not Saddam either. Um, there's just one problem with all this. The problem is we are not as good as we think we are. That's really the problem. We're not as good as we think we are. We, see, we, we start doing these kind of things and we start to assess our own behaviors and our own patterns and we think, well, I'm really not that bad. Um, you know, 
God gave us the Ten Commandments. And they were clear rules for us to live by. I'll just ask you a question. How are you doing on those? How, how are you doing with the Ten Commandments? Can you name them? You say, no, I don't know that I can name them. Let, let me do this. For eternity is on the line. You have to take out pen and paper right now and write down for me the Ten Commandments to get into heaven. How are you feeling about that about now? You, you say, oh, I could nail the first five. And I might be able to eke out six seven's going to really stretch me but eight nine and ten i got no shot okay i mean if that's what's going to get me into heaven is me knowing the ten commandments i'm in a lot of trouble um see here's the problem how can you keep them if you don't even know them you know i mean it's it's a it's a stretch for me i mean i have if someone came up and said hey Brett, what are the ten commandments rattle them off i would have a hard time i would have to stay, stay. Well, my wife and i did it the other day and was like okay i know we're forgetting one Let's see how you're doing on the Ten Commandments. Have you ever had any other God before God? You ever had anything in your life that took the place of God in your life at any time in your life? Yes. Oh, for one. Ever had an idol in your life? Ever had a person, a job, a career, or something that took preeminent place? That got your attention? That got your allegiance? That had all your focus? Yeah. Oh, for two. You ever taken the Lord's name in vain? This is not cussing, by the way. This is not, not talking about um, the, the, the words that you can use. I'm talking more about the idea that, that this is about calling on God and saying that you believe in him and then actually living a life in, in, uh, in such a way that really doesn't look like you do. You ever done that? Mm-hmm. Oh, for three. It's, it's gotten really quiet in here all of a sudden. Ever remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? You say, well, I'm here today, aren't I? That's great. You've done it every day of your life. You remember the Sabbath to keep it holy every day of your life? You go to church every Sunday in your life? Have you, every Sunday rolls around, do you observe Sabbath on every Sunday? Sabbath, you know, giving your body and your soul and your spirit rest? Every Sabbath that has ever rolled around? Do you, do you, you know, have, you, have you tried to keep your heart focused on the bigness of God every Sunday? You mean every Sunday? Yeah. No. Oh, for four. Have you lied? Five. You ever, you ever born false witness? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, have you gossiped about somebody? Have you, have you lied about somebody? Have you uh, led someone to believe something about someone that was not completely true or would have, would have been misleading? Um, have you ever done anything like that? You'd say six. Have you honored your father and mother all the days of your life? No. Have you coveted from your neighbor? And you'd say, well, actually, I think I did that as I pulled out the driveway this morning. But you haven't killed anybody. And then Jesus comes along and ruins everything. And Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've really murdered him well i haven't committed adultery Brett. i'm not even married you ever looked at someone and had a sexual relationship with them in your mind jesus comes along and says when you do that you've committed adultery it's the same thing oh for ten the ten commandments 
our rules to live by, what I'm going to live by to be good enough to get into heaven, I can't even keep the Ten Commandments. Then James comes along and he makes it worse. Because in James chapter 4, he comes along, verse 17, and he writes these words, To him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it's sin. For you to know the right thing to do and not do it, that is a sin. Did you know that? I mean, it's not always about not doing stuff that's bad stuff. You can actually know the right thing to do, not do it, and that's a sin. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. We're a lot worse than we think we are. That's our first problem. The second problem is that sin does not make us bad. Sin makes us dead. That's really where we've got to lock in today. So even one sin brings death to the soul. You are soul dead with just one sin. That's a problem. It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be addressed. This is why the conversation this morning isn't if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be with God, if you want to be forgiven, if you want eternal life, you want to spend an eternity with Jesus, all you have to do is try and get yourself on the right end of the spectrum, and you just got to get past some of those people. You just got to move past Simon, you got to move past Oprah, and you're going to be fine. That's not the discussion this morning. The discussion isn't trying to get you better. Because sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. So Jesus didn't come to just offer some kind of self-help thing to improve ourselves to the point that we can get out uh, to the best side of the scale. I want us to look at a couple of scriptures this morning. The first one is Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now that is a whole new way of looking at things. Um, so now it's not about I'm a little better than this person I'm a little better than that person you know as I judge things I, I'm doing okay here and we got this thing going on and it's, it's the problem with that is that's always sliding it's more about have you ever committed sin in your life have you ever disobeyed God have you ever rebelled against God and if so listen to this this is the result as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins physically dead no your heart is still beaten your brain is still getting 100 million messages a second. Synapses are firing. As I speak, there's all kinds of electrical connections happening in your brain. That's not what he's talking about. I'm physically alive. Then, Brett, what's he talking about? He's talking about our soul, spiritually on the inside, dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And now he's going to describe what that world looked like. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. In other words, God's judgment was going to fall on all of us because of the sin which had brought spiritual death to our soul i mean it was, the picture was not good we were in trouble but then the story gets really exciting and this is why cross lane people get fired up because we're locked into this this is what we this is what we know this is what we we bear witness to this is who we are this is our heartbeat listen to this but because of his great love for us see around here we know it's not about being good it's, being good does not have any bearing on you going to heaven that is not what does it this is what does it because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus didn't leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life, get beaten nearly to death, hang on a cross, die and raise again on a third day by the power of God to make us better. He did not do that to take us from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. He did not suffer pain and humiliation on the cross just so he could push us from Simon Cow up to someplace past Oprah. His mission was not a betterment mission. His mission was to make us alive on the inside, to pay the price for sin with a death that God said had to be paid. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, it is by grace you have been saved. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It isn't the wages of sin is you're not good. That's not what that says. The, the wages of sin is a serious thing. The wages of sin is death. It's not, well, you're a sinner, so you're a bad person. No, you're a sinner, you're dead. And that's got to be dealt with in a spiritual way. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is beautiful stuff. Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. I want to read that again because I want that to settle on you. I want you to hear this passage. You need to memorize this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Observing the law will not make you righteous. It does not make you righteous. Now, I can give you a whole other sermon on why you should still obey the law if you want one, but I don't think you do. Not one single person, not one, will be declared righteous because they kept all the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, you don't know that going 65 miles an hour is a bad thing in a neighborhood uh, maybe unless they post a sign that says hey you're supposed to go 30 here oh that lets me know i'm in violation of the law when they post the sign it's like now i get it let me give you a brief illustration of how the law leads us to sin if i were to take a two-year-old and put him in a room with a bowl of peas he'd have a lot of fun with them he might shoot them across the table he might turn them upside down he'd throw them he might eat a couple doubt it but he might but if i but if I put him in the room and then I said, don't stick the peas up your nose, what's he going to do? The minute I leave the room, what's he going to do? See how many he can get up his nose. The law, don't put the peas up your nose, led him to sin. You see that? He didn't even have the idea until I put it in his head. Jesus didn't come just to make us better. Verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there's a whole new way of coming to God now, and it comes through Jesus Christ. You say, well, how did that happen? That sounds like a miracle. It was a miracle. It happens through spiritual birth. See, how did you get born physically? You, did you try? No. In fact, you've probably announced that to your parents at one time or another, didn't you? Haven't you ever said something like, well, I didn't ask to be born. You didn't try. I mean, it just, it happened, you know. Sell from mom, sell from dad. Bingo, there's a baby. 
how do you get born spiritually same thing it just you know yeah or how do you how do you come alive spiritually you have to be born spiritually born churches are hospitals churches are maternity wards it's not about trying to improve ourselves to to get into heaven it's about being born all over again as children of god listen to this john chapter 1 verse 12 yet to all who received him him in this case is jesus yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name that is that jesus is messiah that he is the son of god that he is sent from god he gave the right to become children of god that's a miracle a couple of implications and then we'll be we'll be wrapping this thing up it is a way to god by grace through faith in jesus christ not by works that's what gets you to god grace gets you to god if god doesn't want to have anything to do with you he's not going to have anything to do with you even if you kept every rule there was you could keep every rule perfectly and god could look at you at the end of the day and say i don't care i'm not saving you what saves you is god's grace willingness to say i accept you i love you i, I receive you unto me when you, another implication is that when you do put your faith in Christ and he does this birth in you, this new life in you, you are then a son or a daughter of God. Isn't that a cool thing? You, you become a son or daughter of God. You have brand new DNA on the inside. You have new genes on the inside of you. And where did you get them? God birthed them inside you. God who brought you from spiritual life to death. God who forgave your sins. So in the spirit, the, the inner person, God is in there and, and God's genes are in you and you're carrying the DNA of the creator of the universe. Does that resonate with you? On the inside, you have the DNA, the spiritual DNA of the creator of the universe. You're two miracles today if you're a Christian. First of all, you're a miracle in that you're alive. Your brain is firing and there's stuff happening inside your body, just miraculous stuff. You are a miracle of life, but you are a double miracle because if you're a Christian this morning, there is life on the inside of you. And the last implication this morning is pretty challenging for us. It means that the natural outcome of our lives uh, hinges in this. It means that we're going to grow up to look like our Father in heaven. Nobody freaks out when you grow up and you look like your mom or your dad. People don't and walk around and go that's the most incredible thing i've ever seen they look just like their mom well of course they look just like their mom and dad they got mom and dad's dna and genes in them of course they're going to look that way kind of scary why wouldn't i look like them i've got their dna stamped on 75 trillion cells in my body it just stands to reason people say no brett i'm not gonna look like my dad when i grow up oh yes you will your ear's going to do that same funky thing his ear does. You know, he, he's going to sprout hair out his ears and nose, and it's going to happen for you too, because if it happened to him, it's probably going to happen for you. Not me. Yeah, uh-huh. You ever say those things, and you sound just like your parents, and it stops you in your tracks? The worst, and I, there were things that my dad would say, I'm never saying that to my kids. And then one day, I caught myself saying, do you want me to stop this car? <laughs> and I sounded just like him. It, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. So I ask you this. If we've been born again through Christ to new spiritual life, what should happen to you and me? We should look like God. Right? We have his DNA. We are sons and daughters. People should look at us and go, 
They look like the daughter of God. They look like the son of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. That is not some shallow hope that we as mere mortals can perform well enough and godly and get something done, but it is a bold, confident hope that we have the DNA of God inside of us so that we can look at our dad, observe him, and mirror him and say, that's what I want to look like. Romans 8.28. You know 8.28. 29's a little fuzzy for us. I'm going to read them both. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now we freak out when we read that word predestined. Look what we're predestined to do, okay? Don't wig out, it's pretty simple. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, Jesus would come first and we would come after him and we would be saying things like, I want to share in that life. I want to be a part of that. Ephesians 4.22, this is beautiful. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying something's been created on the inside of you, something that's been birthed inside of you by God. You have to set your sights higher. Let's go back to the continuum. He's saying, you've got you to gotta set your sights on something higher than this. I mean, uh, it's not about being better than Saddam. You know, if that's, if that's your goal, is oh, I just want to make sure I'm better than Saddam, they're going to hang him, and I don't know how it's going to end for, for old Saddam, but I don't want to be in that. I want to move up the scale a little bit. Let me tell you about something, something about the people on this slide. And Billy Graham and Kyle would join right in with me in this whole thing. It doesn't matter how good you are. That has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven. Am I saying that being good doesn't matter? No, I'm saying that we should be good. That's a whole other sermon. I can give that to you if you want it. Christ brought us to life. And he wants to make us into the image of God. And I'm saying this morning that that while it's noble that you want to you know feed the hungry and the poor and that you want to take care of people and you want to be nice and i encourage you to do that you should do that because those are outgrowths of what it is to live a thankful life in the presence of god almighty but don't do those things thinking that those are the things that are going to save you i want to invite you this morning to the cross and it is stunning i want to show you something here in a minute we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, the Whirlpool Galaxy. You remember that? We went 31 million light years into space and we looked at the Whirlpool Galaxy. Remember looking at the core, the X feature in the core of the Whirlpool Galaxy? Do we have that? You remember seeing this picture? And at the end of the service, we put that up and it was like, oh, wow, that is cool. That is 31 million light years away. That is at the core of this galaxy. The Hubble telescope has been able to send that back to us. That's pretty cool. But I want to talk to you about something that we're going to now go to the world of molecular biology because I'm an expert in that, you know. <laughs> I want to tell you about something called laminin. Laminin. You ever heard of laminin? 
It's all in your body. It's, it's this amazing stuff. It's like the rebar of the human body. The construction guys know what rebar is. It reinforces things. It reinforces concrete. Laminin in your body is rebar to your body. It holds your body together. It, it holds stuff together. Literally, you're, it holds your skin on your body. Laminin, um, what do they call it? They call it a, a cell adhesion molecule. It attaches to the basement membranes in your body and it holds stuff together, literally holds your body together. If you don't have laminin in your body, you're literally coming apart at the seams. It's the holder, it's the connector, it's, it's what holds everything together. It holds your arteries together, your organs together. Um, you say, okay, laminin, that's great. I, laminin, I'm a big fan of laminin. Would you like to see what laminin looks like in your body? The microscopic cell, when they isolate one laminin cell i want you to see what that cell looks like it's in the shape of a cross that's what holds your body together it's amazing that's in your body floating around it's what holds us together. It's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That cross is what, that's what that cross represents to us. And whether it's 31 million light years in space in the middle of the Whirlpool galaxy, or they turn a microscope inward into us, what they find at either end is a cross. Listen to this passage from Colossians. Keep in mind that laminin is the cell that holds everything together in your body. It comes in the form of a cross. Now listen to this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, that's Jesus, and for him he is before all things. Now put your, strap it on right now, here we go. And in him, all things hold together. Yes, they do. Even in here. We got little crosses holding us together on the inside. And in the whole universe, it's Jesus that holds it all together. Now let me finish the verse. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Life, you have been given life, and it is a miracle, but it is carrying something of eternal significance. And your body, honestly, is dying. And it's only a big deal that your body is dying if when you come to the end of your life, you have not done something about the death, the deadness that is on the inside. It's not a problem for Christians when they come to the end if they've dealt with, and they wouldn't be Christians if they hadn't, but if they've dealt with what's going on on the inside, the spiritual death on the inside. And if that happens to you and you come to the end of your life and you have not dealt with the death on the inside, there is a double death. You, are, you, you have a double problem. 
And you run the risk of being eternally separated from God. And all the laminin in the world won't help you then. The hope is that while we still have physical life, we will find the answer to spiritual life and through Jesus Christ experience another birth so that when this thing dies, and it certainly is going to, I am in fact going to live forever. Because Christ's unending soul, unending life is in our soul. If you're a believer today, you're a son or a daughter of God. You need to look up. You need to discover your destiny, what God's calling you to do, and pursue it. If you're not a believer, you need to come to the cross. And you need to deal with spiritual death. And you need to get past this idea that I'm going to be good enough in some way to please God. You can't come to the cross and find life. Let's pray. Lord, stunning, amazing. There are not words that can describe who you are and what you do. And Father, we just give you thanks for all the cool stuff we've talked about over the last four weeks, but at the end of it all, you made it, you made us, you know every intricate detail, you spoke it into being everything from the, the light that travels at 186,000 miles a second to hundreds of millions of messages that get sent to our brain every second of every day, you know it all, and you want a relationship with us. Father, it's my prayer that today we finally have laid to rest this whole idea about being good. Yes, we should be good, but not for the purpose of trying to get you to like us more. God, you love us. You gave your son for us. What else could you do? We don't have to get on your good side. We are already on your good side. You delight in us. And so, Father, this morning, whether we're focusing on a cross that is 31 million light years into space, whether we are looking at one microscopically which holds our bodies together, we see the cross and we hear Colossians and we say, in him all things hold together. Yes, they do. And it's my prayer, Father, this morning that somebody finally reaches the conclusion, I'm tired, I'm worn out of trying to be good enough and I finally figured out I don't have to be. I just got to come to the cross. And I pray that that would happen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.